Is artificial intelligence good or bad? Good. More bad than good. Okay. It has its place. I mean, there's definitely uses for it. Yeah, like being set on fire in a dumpster. Well, I mean, I... Guys, look, this is a serious question. Fortunately, today we have someone who can guide us through it. Today we're going to learn whether the same technology used by threat actors can be used against them. Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Teresa, we know you're the CEO of Fortalist Solutions, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I gotta ask, you were the chief information officer for George W. Bush's White House. What was that like? It's an incredible job. It changes over time. Each presidential administration gets to decide what the priorities are and what they want that office to focus on. It's a little bit of an overwhelming responsibility in retrospect, but you don't really know what you're getting into when you take on the job. There is this dedicated staff that is always there. Like I sleep better at night. I've met so many amazing dedicated people who regardless of who is the presidential administration, they are there to serve the executive office of the president. They are there to serve the country. They do their jobs phenomenally well. They could make a ton of money and have a lot less stress working anyplace else, but they choose to dedicate themselves in service to the executive office of the president. I can't say enough things about sort of the people that you may never even hear their names or see their faces that just make it all work. Just to back it up for a second here, what exactly does a CIO do? So the chief information officer at the time that I was in the role, you basically had responsibility for the technology and operations, as well as the security for the executive office of the president. And so at that time, that focused on all 13 components that report up to the executive office, the president's office, the first lady's office, and the vice president's office, as well as any meetings where the cabinet members came together, international trips, places like Camp David, technology on Air Force One. I shared that technology with the White House military office, so they had one piece, I had one piece. When it comes to people being on the 18 acres, I had a piece, Secret Service had a piece. And so if that meant they were at their vacation home, if that meant they were on international delegation, it was my role to make sure that they could do that seamlessly, elegantly, and in a secure way, no matter where they were in the world. So easier said than done, but that's basically the role. And then you have to be a great collaborator with other groups because you can't have a situation where the president or the vice president picks up the phone or goes to use a technology device, it doesn't work. And the first person in front of them says, that's not my job. <laughs> it cannot work that way. Teresa, you're one of the most respected technology experts in the world. And one of the messages we talk about in this show is the fact that it, it doesn't matter how well-educated, how experienced, how talented you or any person is, they can still become a victim of some form of identity theft. And there is a story that you and I know that we actually worked on where you called me when we were doing the Cyber Scout stuff and you said, 
I have a problem. Can you tell us a little bit about that particular story? Sure. Many of us are going to be a victim of identity theft and fraud through no fault of our own. We didn't click on a link. We didn't open an attachment. We didn't visit unsafe places. Somebody who had responsibility for our data became a victim of a crime. Our data was stolen from them and it ended up in the wrong hands. In my case, I was one of many of the victims of the Office of Personnel Management data breach happen. And again, let me be very clear on this. I do not play the blame game. When an organization gets hacked, I am not interested in having a conversation around, well, their systems were old or dereliction of duty. So OPM was the victim of a crime. My data happened to be part of the treasure trove of data that was stolen. Fast forward, a very sophisticated IRS tax fraud scheme got a hold of my data. Now, here's where it's disappointing. So I did my own investigation of what happened, and I was very close to tracking down, at least if they were money mules in the scam, tracking down who was doing this to me and probably countless other people. And I will tell you the answer I got back that was incredibly disturbing, which was, we've been told as it relates to IRS cases, we have been told to stand down. So all I needed was somebody in law enforcement to send a subpoena to the green dot card company so that we could track down a little bit more information about the person who registered for a green dot card in my name, using it as the bank account to send a refund. So if you don't know, Green Dot is a service that provides prepaid debit cards. And I got to tell you, when I got on with Adam's person, I got on the phone with her and the IRS. And I said, the first thing I want to do is meet the perpetrator of this fraud and meet their tax accountant because I owe you money and you gave them a refund. So I want to figure out what I'm doing wrong and I need a different taxes accountant. And the IRS agent laughed and I was like, I appreciate you having a sense of humor because I am like in DEF CON mode here. I have not been able to sleep. But the good news is I got my identity back. I was able to actually shut down that green dot card so the IRS did not send the fraudsters the money. But then the IRS kept sending me checks because my bank account was closed. And I'm like, stop sending me these checks. But Adam and his team helped me kind of get it all sorted out. I'm so glad we could help, but what exactly did you do to protect yourself? My credit bureaus, my credit is frozen permanently for the rest of my life. I lift it occasionally for about 30 minutes when it's time to do my background check for my clearance and every once in a while for things. And you know what? I sleep better at night with that. But what I will say is if you are a victim of a crime, whether you're running an organization and you've been hacked or personally, somebody hacks your social media account, your bank account, your personal life, impersonates you. You're going to go through all kinds of feelings and you're going to feel very uncertain. You're going to feel very violated. But I need you to listen to my words. You did nothing wrong and you have nothing to be ashamed about. And in fact, the more we can speak up about this, the more we can prevent other people from becoming victims and not just you that's been defrauded, 
there are human trafficking rings right now of mules who are doing this to you and they are disgusted with themselves and they don't know a way out. Like we have got to figure this out globally. We have got to figure this out and it's only going to get worse when the improvements in technology. So we've got to work internationally to stop fraud against us, but also to release the people who are being human trafficked right now who are participating and perpetuating these crimes. Human trafficking uh, and identity theft tend to go together. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So having what the FBI refers to as money mules has been around a long time, right? Scamming people into, why walk into a bank and be identified as a criminal when you can convince somebody else to do it for you and they have no idea that's what they're doing or maybe they don't want to know that's what they're doing. So that's been around a long time. Like, hey, you can earn 20 bucks an hour if you just go cash these checks for my company. Wow, okay, that sounds easy. I'll make 20 bucks an hour I'm a, and suddenly I'm a company courier. So, th so this has been around for a long time, right? And so now with the prevalence of technology, you can convince people work at home scams, call center scams, and you can sort of rein them in and say, look, I'm the going rate is 30 bucks an hour. I'm paying 40 bucks an hour and I'll even provide housing. So wait, are these criminals working out of call centers in the U.S. or where are they? So this is going on and there's documented cases basically sort of in the Asia Pacific plus Africa and other places where people are being duped into basically being part of perpetuating this fraud, these crimes. So they think they're signing up for call center work and then they get their script. And basically they're telling people everything from you have cryptocurrency, your Bitcoin wallet is seeing fraudulent transactions and I'm going to help you and make sure that doesn't happen. Or they're messaging people on social media accounts and they're being catfished and then they're being extorted for money all the way through tricking people out of their identities or tricking people into actually doing a wire transfer that they shouldn't be doing. You can use AI now to sort through all that data and say, okay, what's bank account information? What's healthcare information? What's identity information? You could potentially be creating passports, driver's licenses, voting ID, everything you would need to do both a physical and a digital walk-in into somebody's life where you would be more convincing to their family and friends than the own person would be. And technology has enabled that. So you're thinking that AI increasingly is going to be used by criminals who become custodians of huge data sets and want to then see what's in them how they can be utilized. Will AI also be used to facilitate more outreach through these money mule, these call centers? With generative AI, you don't have language barriers anymore. You can listen to a person on the other end of the line, have generative AI, pull that in, translate it, and ask it to give you an answer. So now if I'm texting you, messaging you, or speaking to you, I can have AI do that. As a matter of fact, as a human, I don't even have to talk to you anymore. I can actually put it through a deep fake audio, pick out a voice, and then have the voice talking to you and doing that in real time.
So, Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't, like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes dot com. We know that AI and machine learning, they're definitely revolutionizing different industries. How do you see it influencing the landscape, though, on cybersecurity? You don't know who's doing your data tagging. There was a great expose done by the Washington Post. You have people doing data tagging. They are not data scientists. Some of them make maybe $2 a day. Some of them are not being paid. It's very unethical standards right now around data tagging. We've got some unethical practices, but it's all, we don't see it. It's like, well, I hired this company and everybody else uses them. And then they hired a company and hired, and then there you go. So you're not creating your own data lake. You're not tagging your own data. And even if you say, I've got these guardrails up and I'm not letting my trade secrets out the door and I'm kind of renting my space, so to speak, we really don't know the foundational element of what we're running off of here. When you mention data lake, I'm guessing you don't mean something that would require like a canoe or a kayak or any other REI type of thing, right? Basically, where did the data come from? Was the data just screen scraping of everything, including fictional novels and the random musings of somebody who has an opinion, but it may not be an educated opinion. Where does the screen scraping come from to create the data lake? Or was the data lake something like somebody thoughtfully, they dug it out and they put 
pristine water in it and they have caretakers of it? Or is it just like, hey, we got to have a data lake and it's got to have these things. In comes the screen scrapers. Just go scrape a bunch of screens, put the data in there, hire some entry-level labor to do the data tagging, treat them like a typing pool. That makes sense. So I'm guessing that the uh, muck in the lake then would be things like social media posts and uh, online forums and the like. If you look at, for example, those lawyers who recently got in trouble with a judge because their brief included cases that didn't exist. And I think if I understand correctly, somebody told me they actually traced one of the cases back to a Grisham novel. Yeah, there were some New York lawyers sanctioned for doing that. Yeah, but you know, the funny thing is you don't need, I mean, they could have used you, Adam. Well, I've read every Grisham novel. I figured, yeah. I could have told them. I know, you could have, you would have spotted the, you would have spotted the lie immediately. So we can have a little bit of a chuckle about that. But at the same time, that's what's in the data lake. So you have a lawyer who maybe is overwhelmed, huge caseload, rushing to get to court. You know, I don't know what the mindset was of these lawyers, but I'm just going to assume nobody wants to do a bad job. But clearly, either they didn't have a law clerk or a paralegal review their work. It looked legit, but it wasn't legit. And that's the thing. You just don't know what's in this data lake. Is Has the American Bar Association created a private data lake just for lawyers? Not that I'm aware of. No. And so the other problem here is that there's no Snopes for, for AI right now, although it's probably scraping Snopes, but it's also scraping things filled with misinformation. And we get into the situation where we live in this sort of cosmically gigantic Thanksgiving family dinner where uncle fred is saying something wrong again and we all know he's wrong because we don't know what data lake he's been swimming in so it's the same problem set that has it like there's a sorting problem here can you talk a bit about the sorting issues that ai faces the reason why manipulation campaigns are so powerful on social media is those promoting the propaganda know instantaneously for the first time in modern history whether or not a propaganda campaign is working. So in the past, we dropped pamphlets over a country, which, by the way, America, we are some of the best generators of propaganda. But propaganda has been around since there were two human beings walking the earth, right? But with social media and with the ability to have analytics, you know in a moment, oh, this has been reposted. I've got likes, I've got people commenting, I've got people taking it to other platforms. And how do you discern for yourself what is fact versus fiction? But I go back to even updating the book, most of the tried and true principles really work. So I always say to people, really challenge yourself to have three different sources. So if somebody says something to you, or you see something or hear something, and you have some like reaction. Maybe you're super happy. Maybe you're super upset. Maybe you're super mad, whatever it is. So if you have this like emotional reaction to what you hear, it could be legitimate or you could be being manipulated. So you want to take what you heard and that emotion. And I always say, pick a local source, pick an international source, pick a national source and check yourself on whether or not you're looking at kind of unbiased sources or if you're picking sort of the same 
genre of fact-checking, right? And if you sort of see it across all three places, then maybe it's not a manipulation campaign. But if you don't, then maybe do a little bit more digging before you hit repost. From your perspective, what could social media platforms be doing that they're not? Or should social media platforms be really called upon to do anything more than they're doing? In all fairness, they seem to be a little bit more into uh, getting into cage fights with one another and uh, landing things on Mars. Well, so if you're an American, you have a lot less rights than everybody else. So under the kind of the American, the Decency Act that was put into place back in the 1990s that basically for chat rooms and forums protected them from crazy people posting stuff um, and saying like, I can't control what people post. And so we have this law that is so outdated. It's very frustrating. But other countries, like the European Union, got together and said, hey, we got this thing called GDPR. And if you don't follow it, then we're going to have issues. We're going to have issues on privacy. We're going to have issues on misinformation. We're going to have all different types of issues. And they actually have a governing body. So a lot of countries have laws that protect their citizens. Like the, Europe has the GDPR in large part because World War II and because of the propaganda that occurred then. And it, so it was a natural thing for them to say, we don't want that to happen again. The United States has Cambridge Analytica. I mean, and maybe a few other things, but we don't have a lot. Yeah. I mean, think about the origin story. Most big tech and social media companies, with the exception of TikTok, are working. So I, you have kind of this these self-conflicting interests, but that doesn't have to be the reason why we can't move forward. But right now, if you think about the financial incentives for social media and big tech, it's how many active engagement, active users engagement. We don't care if they're all bots. We care, but we kind of don't care because it helps our numbers because then we sell ads. I mean, these systems are free. The product for sale is you. And the way they make money is getting ads that sell to you. So the other thing that I learned in doing my research for Manipulated and looking at both what academia was researching and publishing and talking to people was that the more preposterous something was, it doesn't have to be a lie, but it could be a kernel of truth that's like just twisted into something preposterous, the faster it traveled. Right. So there's kind of that I'm going to botch the saying, but there's the the lie goes around the world before truth puts their pants on something like that, that old saying. And that adage is true on social media. And so, yes, who doesn't love rolling pandas and puppies? But those do not get reposted at the same rate as an outright lie or some type of a propaganda misinformation, disinformation campaign. Those travel much faster, are passed around in private groups. If they end up getting banned on sort of social media that we all see, then they go into the private messaging groups. Well, so you know, Teresa, as well as all of our listeners, that Putin, President Putin, has a guy who works for him named Bob Smith, 
who writes for him and he wrote a novel that was this crazy novel. It was about like pizza parlors and Democrats who drank blood. And it was, I think they call it QAnon here in the United States. No, I mean, this is the problem. The problem is we're up against an information war that is, we don't even know where it's coming from. Like you said, you don't know what lake you're swimming in. QAnon might be something that just spontaneously happened and it might be that guy who everyone thinks it is. Or maybe it was a state-sponsored attempt to disorganize the thinking of Americans. It could be a lot of things. And so I guess I'm going to circle back and say, how do we navigate the ethical challenges of using AI to combat cyber threats, including misinformation and disinformation, while pre preserving privacy and fairness in cybersecurity, which includes all those things? I think there's some basic guardrails because it, it's not all going to be on the shoulders of social media or the media, right? And so I think there's some basic guardrails. One, I think internationally, we really do need international treaties and accords around not just privacy of our own citizens, but sort of information that is published online and the responsibility of that information. And I do want to get back to impersonation because I can't tell you how many victims are having their likeness used to catfish other people. So in a previous episode, we spoke with Brian Denny, whose likeness has been used thousands of times in romance scams. This is all intertwined, right? So where I'm incredibly optimistic and encouraged by where our technology is headed in a way that we can combat fraud better and manipulation campaigns better, spot impersonations better. We have to make sure we get some of these guardrails right. And we've gotten it so wrong for so many years, but that doesn't mean it's hopeless, right? And so, so for example, guardrails for us, again, sort of doing your fact checking. And if you don't have time to fact check, then don't repost it. Checking at the door, your confirmation bias, your conscious and unconscious confirmation bias of what you're looking for. That is really important. Digital citizenship in schools. I can't stress this enough. Our children and the generations coming up behind us deserve having time studying digital citizenship, how to spot frauds, how to spot scams, how to not be part of a work-at-home scam, how to behave online, what to do if something goes really wrong. So digital citizenship should be part of the K through 12 curriculum. It should be part of workplace curriculum, right? And then when I think about the news media, I would like to see news media have ever-changing watermarks, just like we have ever-changing counterfeit measures on money, ever-changing counterfeit measures on old school checks. We need to do the same thing on our news media, whether it's online print, digital online, audio, video, that watermarking that tells you good housekeeping seal of approval. This was at least produced by a real news organization who falls under the FCC or other international bodies who monitor and govern vetted, trusted media sources. And then as it relates to social media, they do play a role in this but they never built their financial model to support this. And so the question is, do you force them into a new model through fines? Do you encourage them? I don't know what the answer is for them, but 
the challenges, they started off as kind of photo sharing, music sharing, and now they're quote news sharing. And how do we reconcile that in sort of this age of, like you said, we don't know who's behind the propaganda campaigns. It was interesting too. I thought a lot of times that manipulation campaigns were really designed to make you and I think a certain way or to get your person to win or win on some issue. One thing I'm wondering about here is sort of the financial model that you're describing. Um, in the case of identity theft, we know that you can steal someone's savings. In the case of a crypto scheme, you're stealing someone's cryptocurrency. How is it that they're turning such a great profit from misinformation online? They make pennies on the click so that the click rate are really basically ads. They're making ad CPM, revenue. It's a CPM. Yeah. And so everybody wins except for you and me. Right. And so basically the social media companies get ad revenue. The propaganda artists get ad revenue. And then you have people literally uninvited from holiday dinners in families because of people being manipulated and just not able to even converse with their family members anymore. I can't tell you how many people over the past, especially during the pandemic, who would say, I can't speak to my parents anymore. I can't speak to my friends anymore. I can't. Why? Because they're crazy about this particular issue. I'm like, please do not let mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, or who won and who shouldn't have won. Please, life is too short to let, you know, somebody who has been manipulated to cut them out of your life. I would say love them with grace and space. They will come around. Love the, love the person, hate the idea. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You gotta know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. 
Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash ADAM. Speaking about family dinners, election years certainly make them really interesting. So how is all of this going to affect our coming election, especially with AI? And how do you see that unfolding? Yes. Yes. So I do see deep fake audio, video, deep fake documents. I do see that playing a role. What we have to do now is really think through what are the best practices that we did witness in global elections? And there are many. How do we pull those forward? And I'll give you an example. This was actually leading up to this was the election battle between Macron and Le Pen. And there were, so the French, for this is predating technology. They have a blackout in the media. So if you have any opposition research or anything negative to say, there is a blackout 30 days or something like that before people go to the polls. The media is not allowed to cover it. It is not allowed to be online. It is not allowed to be said because they want people to, they don't want these last minute dark surprises. And I don't know if people remember this, but there was sort of alleged offshore financial counts. There was alleged money movement that Macron had not disclosed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's playing out on social media and online, but not in France. And France has that blackout. And the election could have been very different had there been sort of this late surprise going into the polls because there wouldn't have been that time to fully vet and say, these documents are a fake. So these were deep fake documents that were produced to pretend that there were offshore accounts that were never disclosed. And so Macron won the election and it was all found to be lies, outright lies. But had France not had these rules in place, would the election have been different? It's hard to know. The election blackout in France is on the Saturday before the Sunday election period. Greece has a 48-hour blackout. Hungary has, well, that's not surprising, zero. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) India has 48 to 24 hours. It doesn't look like anyone's more than 48 hours. Okay. I still think that would have affected Hillary Clinton's, the Comey stuff before the election in 2016. We don't have it. We're never going to have it. I do have one follow-up before we close about social media, which is when AI comes up with something that's working, oh my gosh, we got 18 reposts in four seconds. We know this is good stuff. And Uncle Fred is in a media lake that is filled with that particular kind of mis or disinformation. The problem is with the repetition, with AI making clickier content, it may appear to be true just because it's entered a lot of different lakes. Kind of like those mussels in the Great Lakes that people that open, you know, go in the ballast of ships. I want to just tell Uncle Fred three things that he can do before he shoots his mouth off at Thanksgiving dinner. What do I tell him? Yep. So I would tell him, so for example, Pick an international news site. It could be BBC. It could be, it could be whatever. It could be Daily Mail. I don't get the Guardian. I, it could be Der Spiegel in English. Whatever you want, right? So pick an international newspaper, then have your national, and then have your local news. 
And oh, that's okay. how I would do the vetting. And I would not do it through social media. I would step out of social media and go to the website itself. I would not navigate. You cannot trust just because it says BBC in the Quran. You cannot trust that was actually on the BBC. Deep fake video, audio. It's so good now. You just don't know. So I just say, and also things can be edited. Like you said, it could go viral. And then it's like, wait a minute, the reporting kind of catches up a little bit and says that was the headline. This is the real story. So I always say to people, go directly. If you're going to be online and you don't get the old school newspaper, go directly online to the news site away from social media and get your news that way. These are, listen, these are great insights. My concern is that people tend to be very lazy when it comes to the news. It's like, yeah. I only want to go to those sites or those broadcast outlets that tell me what I'm already thinking, that just reinforcing my thinking, which is tragic because there's so much at stake. This is not a moment to be lazy when it comes to receiving the news. Well, but here's the thing, Adam, not to end on a negative note. When my kids are being lazy about something, I just encourage them not to be. And that's the best I can do. And I think that's the best any of us can do, which is, okay, yeah, I get that you don't want to look. I get that you got a busy life. But Uncle Fred, it doesn't take that long to look at the English version of Le Monde or whatever and see, because you can just click a button and it puts it all into... But that may disrupt Uncle Fred's golf game, which heaven knows nothing should come between Fred and golf. The other good thing that's happening in this country is that a number of universities, like University of Georgia, have now introduced certification programs for what they call news literacy. And this is something that would be great if all colleges and universities and, frankly, high schools in the United States had digital literacy courses. Anyway, as we like to say on this show, if you don't want remorse, go to the source. And you certainly confirm that again. Teresa, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us and can't wait to see you again. Well, my time together with you, it went by so fast. So thank you for being such gracious hosts and have me back. Oh, we will. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Teresa. Thanks. And now it's time for our 10 plus one. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Okay, so Teresa's idea about having a local, a national, and an international news source is a very good one. Now, I, as you know, weird but true, I read Swedish, and whenever I'm not quite sure about a story, I will go to the Swedish papers, Dalgens Nyheter, which is sort of the New York Times over there. It used to be better than it is now. Anyway, to verify what I'm reading. Well, she also mentioned going to the source if you see news on social media. The main problem is that it's not outside the realm of possibility to make up news sources that look like local news sources, but are completely manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. And that was pretty common during the 2016 elections. So you see these news websites that look like they're in your area, but you've probably never heard of them before. Even if you're going to the source of a article on social media, if it's one you've never heard of and there isn't a long archive of content, it could just be a propaganda mill. Or, you know, look, you can Google the first paragraph of of whatever you're reading to see if it pops up elsewhere. Um, And if it's if it is kind of fake news, misinformation, disinformation, if it is what is largely these days considered state sponsored disinformation campaigns, there is a list of 
of those publications. It's not hard to figure out. The, the way to find this out, though, is to have a healthy dose of skepticism when you're reading a story. Checking the news outlet isn't enough. I mean, you got to check the byline. Most established journalists maintain a social media presence and the link to it. And look for past articles as well. And, and check sources, or lack thereof. It's a big story, and there's a ton of, you know, anonymous sources. I mean, yes, the New York Times does that a lot when it comes to Trump, but that's because he's probably going to off them if they do. Anyway, <laughs> listen, nope. But, uh, well, I, I maintain what I almost said is true. But at any rate, <laughs> if there aren't any real sources in there, it's a red flag. I mean, the other thing that I always look for is uh, something that we talk a lot about with scams. In other words, it, they're supposed to be triggering your adrenaline. So if I see something that just says like newsflash or unprecedented or breaking, I usually like to take a beat and just make sure the story is really quite as big as advertised. Uh-huh. So you're, I didn't realize this. I didn't know you were Team Trump, but that's true. CNN too, as you know, third day of the hurricane that never was will still be breaking news because there is a car under, a, you know, sitting in a puddle somewhere. Listen, you just, you got to use your head. Yeah, I mean, I get it. And I know that that's uh, also like a feature of uh, modern day news, especially on the internet. But at the same time, if uh, I see a news story about someone on either side of the political spectrum, uh, I don't even have to like them. Um, but if it's being described way too excitedly or in like super apocalyptic terms, I'm going to assume that the goal is a little bit more to push a narrative than to uh, give me information about what's going on. Well, especially if you don't see it reported across multiple major news outlets. That's true, Adam. But if you, you there's another thing you can do, which is double check images that are attached to a story. You can do that doing a Google image search. And if you see that the photo is appearing in a lot of kind of garbage sites, that's a pretty good hint. There are countless ways that people get duped online, especially when reading the news, especially when it's shared on social media. So you really got to be on your guard if you're reading something that seems designed to provoke outrage. Yeah. I've been here all along. <laughs> By the way, you guys are super paranoid. That's what everyone on 4chan tells me. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it. Like, I swear to God. I am... I am <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go down to my local QAnon meeting, and uh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> you know they kicked me out for being too paranoid? Oh, wow. They kicked me out for not bringing enough blood of child. Um, and I'm going to lock the 17 locks on my door and pull down the shades. You're such a <laughs> <laughs> What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.